Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Insider Matthew Collar here, actually inside TCO Performance Center with Jeremiah Searles, who's not, uh, and is still reeling over all of your teams disappointing. The Vikings lost, Nebraska lost, the Bills lost, the Carolina Panthers lost. Did your high school team lose? Chargers lost too. Don't forget about the Chargers. Oh, yeah. They lost in glorious Charger fashion. It was it was a weekend to forget, Matt. It was a weekend to forget for football love. I'm not saying it's you, but it might be you. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, with the whole world watching Colorado as well and future mm -hmm. Vikings quarterback Shadur Sanders uh, lighting up <laughs> the Nebraska Huskers as well. So I have become a uh, Saturday college football watcher of certain quarterbacks. Uh, Quinn Ewers kind of looked pretty good. And then after 0-1, you're like, okay, well, just keep justifying my quarterback watching Vikings. I mean, first of all, has CU not turned into the most spectacle of college football? I mean, the Wu-Tang Clan was at the game. I walked by them. I was like, I think I know I think I know who those people are. And then as I was like walking by, I saw like an Instagram. It was like, Wu-Tang Clan here. And I was like, wow, the Wu-Tang Clan is at a CU Nebraska game. How about that? I mean, that, that place is interesting. What Dion's done there is nothing short of remarkable. Now, we'll see. Time will tell, right? But the fandom that has come with the Coach Prime is wild. There's never been more evidence in uh, this sport that having a great quarterback will um, swing yeah. the tides there because Nebraska probably was the better team early in the game, especially on defense. And this is why I was so impressed by Sanders. And of course, we'll get to the Vikings in a second. But uh, but but Sanders was was so poised. I mean, Nebraska was beating him up. They were getting after him. Colorado's committing some penalties. And you're thinking like, OK, are they kind of going to blow this a little bit? Or is this going to be like a grind fest all the way to the end? And that dude just kept coming. Like, I, it's amazing to me how calm he is amidst Wu-Tang Clan being there, Michael yeah. Irvin, playmakers there, like everybody. And this is a guy who grew up around superstars and he acts like he acts like that stage is not too big for him. I think that's the, that's the greatest point, Matt. He's not superstardom is the norm to him. Right, like hanging out with dad and his buddies that are all mega stars is just another Wednesday night at the Sanders household. Right. That's just and that's why he's able to stay so calm, cool, collect and do what he does and deliver very, very accurate passes. And uh, I look forward to watching more of him. Uh, and already we have people who, after the Vikings lost to the Buccaneers, want to tank for him and others. Uh, Ewers was excellent against uh, yeah. uh, Alabama. And, uh, you know, Caleb Williams, everybody knows him and Drake May. But, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say, and we'll break down all the things that went wrong and the things that went right. But I'm going to say that might be a tad premature in week one, Jeremiah. But I understand, though, why people are saying that and why I receive no less 
than 169 messages from people <laughs> wanting to trade Kirk to the Jets over and over last night. It was actually, it became a joke with my wife. Like, here's no my way. email and my DMs. And it was like, ping, ping, ping. Should we trade Kirk to the Jets? Should we trade Kirk to the Jets? I'm like, it's week one. It's week one. But uh, I guess uh, how much reaction is overreaction to what happened? Now, you and I both know week one is the greatest overreaction in all of sports, right? You are going to have people that are like, Super Bowl, dudes are going to the Super Bowl, no doubt about it whatsoever. That team's not going to win a football game. And then by the end of the year, it matters not, right? Remember last year, everyone was like, Cincinnati's washed. They're done. They started two and three or whatever it was. And they're like, nope, no chance. And there they go right on back to the AFC championship game. Right. I mean, it's such a weird thing. And a lot of it, I think, Matt, is the fact that teams are still figuring out how to navigate the preseason, the new preseason. Right. You see teams that play no starters at all, ever. And then you see guys that are playing some or some here and there. And it's why you're seeing defenses have so much more success early in the season. And then the offenses kind of figure it out and get going and rolling. But I mean, that's my opinion. What's going on with the Bengals is the fact they didn't play their starters one snap. Not a single snap. And then their very first real live bullets are in the rain, in the dog pound, with a quarterback who, let's face it, still looked really injured. He did not look like he could move. If he had to get off his spot, his feet got all way, like out of shape. Balls are flying everywhere. Like, And same thing with the Vikings. Like They played their starters some. But, I mean, Brian O'Neill was his first time back out there. And, you know, it's just one of those things of everyone's still trying to figure out how to navigate this new preseason life where it takes the offenses one or two weeks, in my opinion, to really kind of get into a rhythm and get clicking. Yeah, I think that um, more than anything, it just ends up with creating some wonky results that are not necessarily indicative of what's going to happen. So there are some, like Miami's offense had no problems, but the the Vikings offense was a little sloppy. And then you also, it's hard not to connect, like, well, they didn't play in preseason, they turned the ball over and they committed penalties and stuff, but last year they didn't. And the Packers played like they needed to play their starters because they didn't know what they were doing. So I think week one is is I think the the widest that teams are afar, apart from each other or apart from what they're actually going to be, I, I guess I would say. Like who you really are versus week one is, is not always indicative. Mm-hmm. I, but there are situations where I think you can react. And I think with the Vikings, what you can say is, I know it was weird. I know that they mostly outplayed Tampa in a lot of ways. got a lot more yardage than they did. But that's a loss that you shouldn't have had. Because Tampa Bay is not a great team. If they win more than six, I think I'd be surprised after this. Uh, They clearly can't really move the ball on offense. They don't have much of a running game. Their offensive line isn't particularly good. And uh, on defense, uh, they've got enough to stop the run, but their coverage wasn't great. Their blitzes didn't really impact Kirk Cousins that much outside of the one uh, strip sack. Uh, mm. and and so that's a team that I think if you're going to win the North and you're going to be a playoff team, like you, you do have to win that even, even with all of the qualifiers of how weird and unpredictable week one can be. I think too, you look back at a year ago, we won all those close games, right? Like we, we talked about the end of the year, if we don't win and we don't eke out some of those really close games, we were staring at a nine win season, a 10 win season. We just found ways to win games at the end of the, at the end of the game. And this one, just the ball didn't bounce our way. And so many times that we gotten used to it, like, oh, Kirk's going to go out and win this thing. Everything's going to be fine. You know, and for me, the defense, as good as it played, 
there's a lot of holes in this Flores defense that Flores is trying to figure out, can I fix these holes with scheme because I don't have the right personnel? And that's a really tough place to be as a defensive coordinator because you take away the turnovers, this offense probably scores 24 to 28 points yesterday or Sunday, whatever it is, right? So I'm not as concerned about our offense based off of the fact that the playmakers we have are ridiculous. It's going to be more than this defense against good football teams because I'm with you. Tampa's not a good football team. But you look at what Jordan Love did to Chicago. You look what Detroit did to Kansas City. Like When we go up against our division opponents, can our defense bow their neck enough to keep it close while our offense is going to score? So I definitely want to talk about that because the second half was wildly different than the first half for Brian mm-hmm. Flores' defense. But I got to throw in, and we, we didn't do this in our first episode, a what does that stat mean? What does that stat mean? What does that stat mean? Uh, okay, so the Vikings in the Kevin O'Connell era started off 7-1, and one, all right? After Buffalo, they went 7-1, and one, and in the Buffalo press box, I declared the Vikings a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I was not right in doing so because they got <laughs> destroyed the next week. But since that game, since that wild, insane, unpredictable game, the Vikings record is six and six. And one of those wins was against a team in Chicago that was trying to lose on purpose. So we could, I mean, you include the giants, you include what happened on Sunday and you're a 500 ball club since that Mm. crazy cockamamie start to last season. And there's been a lot of post-game press conferences where Kevin O'Connell is forced to look for answers. Why a certain throw went in a certain place or why, you know, the defense wasn't as good as it was supposed to be and, and why it was an upset or why they went to Green Bay and wore the wrong cleats or why somebody lined up off sides, but then they say he didn't and, uh, you know, all these things. It has felt over the last 12 football games that I have covered much more like the previous Vikings era. So I guess my question is, what does that mean? And also, well, how do they make it stop? Because the magic of those first eight games was not going to carry over forever, and it certainly hasn't. It's all got to come from the defense. You know, I think you you saw that last year, obviously, the defense was the glaring chink in the armor, right? You looked at this team as a whole, and you're like, okay, what is, where's the bleeding? I know we're winning. I know we're winning football games, but there's bleeding coming out of here somewhere, and what is it? And it was the defense, so he tried to fix that, right? New coordinator, bring Flores in. We're going to be more attacking. We're going to go, but I think... I believe the more I look into this, the bleeding is really the personnel. It's the personnel on defense. You know, it's the young and the lack of experience and the lack of depth. And all of that is kind of contributing to all this. All that to said, Kirk Cousins is, he is who he is. We've said this on the show a lot. He he is who he is. And I don't think anyone expects him to be any more than what he was last year. That was a career year. Right. It's impossible to ask a guy unless it's Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, RIP. That's just like, hey, year after year after year, you must perform at this level. And Kirk has never really been that guy. And so for him to take a little bit step back and not look like he did at the end of last year, really throughout that first, is not super surprising to me. It's kind of what I expected. Do I think he'll build through the season as he gains more chemistry with Addison, as he gains more chemistry with Hawkinson, who was only here for half a year last year? And then obviously, where's 18? I can just throw it to him. You know, that's all going to continue to go. But the linchpin in all this, I believe we're going to really miss Dalvin Cook. Watching that game back and watching the run game that Dalvin was so good at creating explosives and creating abilities to make things miss, Madison missed a lot of reads. Ty Chandler, not Dalvin Cook. 
right? It's very apparent that our running back room is very different and we are not going to be able to rely on that position as much as we did a year ago when Kirk did get in a funk or Kirk couldn't get things going. Hey, just give the ball to Dalvin. Let's make something happen. That's going to be an issue that we're going to have to watch as the young part of this year goes on of what we do at that position. Yeah, and I would say there's a difference probably between saying that you could miss someone who could all of a sudden get a 75-yard touchdown, which is just never going to be who Alexander Madison is, and I think after watching him with the Jets, they were still right to let him go and, and, and you know, go forth because that's running backs and that's how it plays out. But in 2019, especially, which I think is the still the best year of uh, Kirk Cousins career as a Viking, Delvin Cook. And you could argue last year because of the wins, but statistically, mm-hmm. efficiency wise wins a playoff game. You know, I, I still kind of lean a little bit toward that one. Maybe there's an argument about it, but. I thought that where he was at his best was when teams were really terrified of the run game because when they were afraid of Delvin cook and when he could break one off at any time, or when you could throw him a screen and it would get you 15 yards of which they have never figured out the screen game with Kevin O'Connell. And I remember Kevin Stefanski, I think once said of the screen game, it's like the outhouse or the penthouse. You either get like a Mm -hmm. big play or you get nothing. It's been totally outhouse the entire time, except for one screen uh, against Indianapolis last year, but it it was outhouse again. And I I feel like those things that really help him when the linebackers are getting, you know, brought up to the line of scrimmage and there's a lot of space to throw on play actions or when you're set up for second and four, like these are Kirk cousins staples of where he could be at his best. And Delvin cook made that happen at his best. And without any of that, I mean, on first down runs, I, I think I, I calculated this after the game. It was something like nine runs for 22 yards. What does that stat Ugh. mean? That means you are never in second and short. It means you're never in second and decent. And, and I think that that's going to you know make it difficult for Cousins. Like, okay, he made a great throw on third and 11 to Jordan Addison. He can do it from time to time. But if you want to get the most consistency out of it, you probably do have to have those elements. And with the offensive line now banged up, I think that makes it even harder. It's harder to run, and it's definitely harder to run that screen game if you don't have your full offensive line. And especially the center position. I mean, you talk about they probably bought the main reason they brought Bradbury back is because of his comfortability with Kirk, right? The ability of those guys to be in the same system and to work together again for a second year and to kind of know how each other's thinking and feeling. And a back issue for an O lineman, that's a toughie. You know, we are constantly putting so much strain and so much pressure on our back because of the nature of the position and how you have to sit down on bull rushes. And I sent you the clips that I'm pretty positive Garrett hurt his back on, and it's Vita Vea just bearing down on him. And you can see him try to go to sit and then also have to just start backpedaling because he just can't sit on that. And so, I mean, obviously I hope he gets better, but that's something I would expect him to be out not a short amount of time unless it was just like a, a precautionary, like, hey, my back's getting really tight, and hey, let's get you out of here while we can try and get you healthy early in the year. But when you lose your play caller in the middle there, and so many questions have been about your guards and can you help them and get you going, and now you have a brand-new center in there that's going to be just trying to survive, you have to start leaning on your guards. And Ezra Cleveland and Ed Ingram didn't put performances together to remember, in my opinion. You know, in some some opinions, it was to forget, especially at the right guard position. Ezra had some good things. He put some good things on tape. But we talked about making Ed Ingram and wanting him to take this giant jump and giant leap forward. 
And I kind of saw the same Eddie Ingram I was used to seeing on tape last year. And that's just not something you can do as a young player. You have to take big jumps going forward. Again, I know it's week one. I know it's different. Everyone's trying to figure things out as we go. But that's a position we have to rely on to be more consistent from a second-round pick, I believe. Yes, second-round pick. I mean, you can't. You just can't grade a 40. Like, this is the thing about any offensive lineman whenever. And the thing I respect so much about Brian O'Neill is when you go through his worst games, his and, and I mean by PFF, his, his worst games will be like a 68, which means that you survived and you probably got beat a few times. If you're grading a 40, you're destroying your quarterback. Now, it's better than grading a one like Mark Lewinsky of uh, the New York <laughs> Giants. We'll save that for uh, love to see it, hate to see it later in the show. But I mean, if you're if you are that far below average, if you're giving up four pressures as a guard, guards shouldn't be given up four pressures. I mean, that's usually what you see from tackles against Miles Garrett or something and not uh, you know over the guard. But I think from the very first drive, you you saw it where Kalijah Kansi came around. And what have we talked about many times? Stunts and twists and, and these pressures that everybody knows that they don't seem to know what to do against them. And, and there it was, like right from the beginning, Todd Bowles going like, let's see if you figured out how to spot these. No, you didn't. And, and so here's the thing. I, I got a lot of messages, uh, yes, about trading Kirk to the Jets, but also about <laughs> Dalton Riser. And he's been trolling online. He's been yes, he has. himself in the airport and he's been favoriting <laughs> people who say, hey, come to the Vikings and everything else. And you did. You said it. It's one game, but it was a lot of the same problems. And I thought Ezra Cleveland, at least in pass pro, was OK. The run game, I thought, was pretty miserable. But if you're talking about Austin Schlopman playing center for a long period of time, who is like all respect to journeyman offensive linemen like yourself, it takes a, a heck of an effort to, to be in the league. But if you're talking about somebody playing 17 games, if Bradbury's out long-term or half the season, stop and start, you can't really have two massive weaknesses. Is it time to, and by the way, they cleared a little cap space today. Is it time to just call Dalton Reiser and be like, get on that flight, come to Minnesota next week against the Chargers. They got a little bit of a long break here for you to learn what you need to learn. Maybe he also took like a zip disc with the uh, playbook home with him after he visited. Is it time to sign Dalton Reiser? I think there's a few teams that are going to be in the mix for Dalton Reiser now. That might be the problem. And the problem might be after watching some of these week one performances from some offensive linemen, there might be people looking for answers out there. And I, I text you because this always happens to us. There's always giant breaking Vikings news about 10 to 15 minutes after we wrapped the pod. And so I watched as I saw this morning, I was like, Brian O'Neill moves 10 million cap space. I was like, Hmm, that sounds about right for a one-year contract for a starting guard that might be named Dalton Reisner. So I can definitely see them wanting to do that. If anything, getting him in here now so that he can start to learn so that he might not start right away, but that they can try and start rotating him in there as well. Because I also know that Ed Ingram has worked some at center. I know that in the offseason, I've seen him with snapping the ball, moving around. And so there might be a piece of me, too, that thinks, okay, they want to keep Ed on the field. They think he's better than Schlotman. Schlotman? Is it Schlotman or Schlotman? Schlotman. I never wanted – I never – Schlotman. They think maybe he's better than Schlotman. Let's get him back in. Let's move him to center. Let's get Dalton Reisner, put him at right guard, and kind of go from there. So I could see them moving in some type of capacity there. But I think you got to give Ed Ingram at least a couple more weeks to say, was that week one jitters? What was it? Obviously, everyone didn't play great. We were turning the ball over. I mean, the second play of the game, Alexander Madison closed a complete whiff on a blitzing linebacker and gets Kirk killed. And we talked about it a 
constantly. If Kirk Cousins gets hit early in the game, he panics. He starts to speed things up in his head. He starts to keep things going. And on play two and play three of this game, he gets lambasted. I mean, smoked, thrown to the turf, killed, bomb up in the air, and I can just hear I just hear the quarterback, my ribs, my ribs. Like I can just hear that from that show just going on. I'm like, man, Kirk can't take these shots this early in the year. He just won't survive. He's getting old. Folks, I found the perfect solution for barbecue lovers looking to up their grilling and smoking game. The team of certified pitmasters at Grill Masters Club has cracked the code on delivering award-winning small batch barbecue products on whatever schedule works for you. With each Grill Masters Club themed box, you'll receive five curated barbecue products such as sauces, marinades, spice rubs, grilling tools, and more. Plus, each month, their team of barbecue experts creates custom recipes and tips that provide endless ways to use the amazing products featured inside each box. You can choose monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly. You could pause, update, cancel your subscription at any time. This isn't one of those things you can never get out of. You get charged once a month and days later, an amazing barbecue experience gets delivered to your door. It is so simple. Trust me, this subscription is good for barbecuers of all levels and everyone in the house will love it. Soon you'll be experiencing flavors and techniques that you never knew existed. Maybe you're an amateur like me, that's okay. You can feel like an expert with Grillmasters Club. Go to grillmastersclub.com to take your grilling and smoking experience to the next level. And while you're there, check out the member reviews to find out what others are saying about the month-to-month Grillmasters Club plan. And get 50% off your first box with the promo code PURPLE. That's 50% off at grillmastersclub.com, your first box with the promo code PURPLE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In case you missed it last week, folks, we are starting a brand new segment on the show using the website and the app for prize picks. If you haven't heard of it before, it's super simple. You just pick more or less between two and six player stat projections for that week. And that's it. Now you're playing. Unfortunately for me, I only went one for three last week with Jordan Love getting more than 212 yards. And I was a little foolish in thinking that Kirk Cousins wouldn't have to throw a lot versus Tampa Bay. I got that wrong. But if you think you can outperform me, and you probably can if you're good at games like this, it's time to give it a shot. Go to prizepicks.com slash purple and use the code purple for a first deposit match up to $100. That is prizepicks.com 
prizepicks.com slash purple. Use the code purple for a first deposit match up to $100. One of the reasons I really like prize picks is that I didn't have to take out a second mortgage to play this game and make it part of the show. You could turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. That's prizepicks.com slash purple with the code purple. Daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah. Uh, also, by the way, um, you saw from Vita Vea when he hit his own teammate, what that does to you when Vita Vea hits yes. you. And uh, just a reminder, folks, don't try to play in the NFL and don't put on TikTok that you could either because Levante <laughs> David stood up after that and high fived Vita Vea. I'm like, what? How it, he's alive? So, uh, yeah, just a reminder how violent uh, some of those defensive lines are. And by the way, now I do want to circle back to the defensive point. I'll get that to the second. Yes, but I got some there for you. My gosh, they're playing Philadelphia. Like the worst possible start for the offensive line was to go against Tampa Bay, who's got a bunch of dudes up front, and then face the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Carter, depending on where you look, either had eight or nine pressures. Uh, that's a lot. That's a real lot. That's like superstar level. And the guy just started playing in the NFL. Oh, by the way, Fletcher Cox has destroyed this team for years. They have a rotation of great players on defense. I mean, this is like of all the opponents in the NFL, the only one that might be worse would have been San Francisco, but I'm not even sure of that. Like this might be the worst team to play with a banged up offensive line and not really any confidence in your guards. I mean, especially with – I saw that Darisaw was on the injury report for an ankle this week. And, I mean, as much as we're talking about bad things, he's still as good as advertised. I mean, he's still throwing dudes around and bossing dudes on the floor. He is as good as advertised. Brian O'Neill come back from the Achilles injury as good as advertised. So, I know we're harping on the middle, but I still love our two tackles. I think everyone should be really excited with where our, we're at and our bookends on the line. But we have to get this middle of the line figured out. And the fact that Jalen Carter, arguably one of the best players in the entire draft, went to this team is terrifying because they have Nolan Smith who can run like the wind. Brandon Graham, who's been doing it for a long time. They have uh, Hasin Reddick. I mean, you go down the list. There's guys that are in the two deep that aren't starting for them that are starters on 31 other football teams. And they just rotate fresh legs in there like it's nothing. And once they figure out how to click and gel and they all start working together and getting that stunt game going, they're one of the best stunting teams in the NFL because of how much speed they have. You know, Jalen Carter is a fast twitch dude at a big thing. He's going to rush that B gap, get that guard to open up. And here comes a son Reddick down the pipe, right? It's going to be really, really difficult for us to go. The quick passing game is going to have to be really important because they don't blitz. They don't blitz. So it's not like, Oh, they're sending six so we can hold it, pick it up and go deep. They're sending four and getting home. So you got to have quick passes, quick answers, and be able to get that ball out of his hands very quickly. Well, and that's what I'm sort of curious to see with Kevin O'Connell and the adjustments that they're going to want to make here because I thought that Kirk, when he was blitzed most of the game, uh, did a really good job of getting the ball out of his mm -hmm. hands. Uh, by the numbers, it came out of his hands in 2.2 seconds when he was getting blitzed, and he went 19 for 23 passing against Tampa Bay. But this team doesn't have to blitz to get in your face. And that's where historically the Vikings have had the most problems when Akeem Hicks was playing for the bears or when Kenny Clark is destroying a young Garrett Bradbury, like you don't have to send all these dudes and all these blitzes and allow cousins to find where he's supposed to go with the football quickly. I feel like he's good at knowing and, and, and getting away, uh, getting the ball away. 
But when it's rush four and they're playing two deep coverages and they've got, you know, they got multiple guys on Justin Jefferson and all that. I think that's the biggest challenge. And I think Kevin O'Connell has to find some ways. And oddly enough, I'm going to shout out to the, to a guy that you wouldn't expect who had a great game plan once upon a time against the Philadelphia Eagles, 2018, John D. Filippo. It was his former team. So I feel like he had a good sense for it. It was his, it was his best game hands down as an offensive coordinator. It went downhill from there. But <laughs> but they got the ball into Stefan Diggs' hands super quick. It was take the snap, get it out of the hands of Kirk Cousins, a lot of quick throws, and then they hit a shot or two, and they were able to have a successful offense. I feel like that's what they have to do in this game because I don't think that the running game is really going to be there. And I think if you hang around and wait for deep developing routes, you're going to get dead Kirk in the backfield at, you know, in the first quarter uh, that he's going to get hit just like you said. Now, on the defensive side, though, if you'd look at the numbers, you would have said, what a performance. I mean, this, this, this defense is rolling and they just got a little tired in the second half. Would you agree or disagree with that though, that they had a great performance and it was as good as we could have expected from Brian Flores's defense? I think I, I don't want to say it was a great performance. I think it was a good performance, but if you put your, your cap on and your film coach hat, like I did and go back and really dissect this defense there's a lot of holes. There's a lot of holes, and the great offensive coordinators in this league are great at looking at the tape and finding the holes. And as the game progressed, you saw Baker, Mayfield, and company start to find those holes, start to figure out, okay, if they put eight up here, they're going to put eight up, but then the third and six, and these corners are going to stand at 11 yards, so I'll just play pitch and catch, right? And that's how you beat a pressure team. You beat a pressure team with getting the ball out of your hands quickly, like we talked about, and I think that Baker and them started to figure that out. I think that's going to be a problem moving forward because we're not pressing because I don't think Flores has trust in these young corners, right? It's hard to get up there and be like, hey, go get in his face and be really physical. And all of a sudden in the back of your mind, you're going, oh, Mike Evans is going to run right by him, isn't he? Right? That's the stuff that Flores is trying to think. So he's trying to find ways to also generate pressure on the quarterback because Daniil Hunter, he was good, but they chipped him a lot. They put a tight end over him a lot. They had double teams out to him a lot. And no one else from that defensive front really stepped up and said, I can go whoop this dude's ass in front of me and go 1v1. Yeah, I got this. I'll do it. And by the end of the fourth quarter, Flores wasn't trusting anyone to do it anymore, and he was starting to have to dial up pressure. Uh, 29 pass rush snaps for DJ Wanham. Zero pressures. Yep. It's just not going to work. And no. uh, Marcus Davenport not being in there is a problem. Uh, because he's got size, physical ability. And even though he didn't have a ton of sacks last year, he did have a lot of pressures and he's always had a lot of pressures throughout his career, which is a huge, huge improvement from zero for 29. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, when you have Benton Whitley in there, who's a practice squad guy, when Patrick Jones has two pressures and like, you know, 20 rushes, you're just getting nothing out of those guys. Mm -hmm. And then you're forced to send the blitzes. The thing is that the Bucks just started getting it out quickly. They started yep. running slants and, and quick passes. And overall, at the end of the day, Baker Mayfield only was registered as nine pressures in like 30-something dropbacks, which is not anywhere close to what it has to be if you're going to leave your corners uh, on islands. And the other thing that's interesting, too, is the way they handled the corners. Josh Metellus played a ton. He was essentially the nickel which I didn't think was going to be the case. I thought they were going to play Makai Blackman a lot more. He only played 15 snaps that if you're asking Josh Patelis to be the nickel, I think that can work for underneath stuff. He's a great tackler, 
But we kind of saw also with, you know, Mike Evans just runs by him. I think if teams try to attack him with faster wide receivers, it's going to be a problem. But as you mentioned from the beginning, there's really only so much you can do if you're Brian Flores, right? Like you just kind of have to line up some people and run them at the quarterback and hope for something good to happen because you can only trust your corner so much. You can only trust your linebackers so much. Although I thought Ivan Pace had a good game and -hmm. you cannot ask your front four to get any pressure, which I just don't know how that problem is getting solved unless Davenport is back and at a hundred percent. Yeah. We need Davenport back. You know, I I'm, I'm not ready to give up on this front until I can see it fully healthy. Right. Because I think, yeah, it might not be the game plan that Flores wanted to, but then all of a sudden Davenport gets hurt late in the week and he has to then shift and pivot and be like, okay, what do I have to do now? Right. So I want to see this defense with it fully loaded and everyone will say, well, it's just one guy. Yeah. But that could be a huge difference. Right. You talk about the the heydays of Vikings, Everson and Daniil coming off the edges, right? You never could guess right. Which one's going to win in Davenport again. He doesn't have the great sacks, but you're right. Pressures are early in the year, early in the game, are very effective. I mean, Kirk Cousins was under pressure. He didn't get sacked a ton, but he was under pressure majority of the game, and you saw the way in the fourth quarter that it affected him. And you and I both know we're going to see a lot better quarterbacks than Baker Mayfield. And if you have teams that are sitting back there and that quarterback can sit back there and bounce, 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 and get from read one to read three, I don't care who your corners are. Someone's going to be open. And – so I hope that Davenport can come back and we can see like, okay, they're going to put Daniil and Davenport on the same side and twist guys to death and rush them kind of like he did with Zadarius Smith last year. But even then you look at what Cleveland did. They take Zadarius Smith. They take Dalvin Tomlinson. Both those dudes rushed the passer like banshees last week. Like I was watching both those guys getting in the quarterback's face and bull rushing guys and running over guys. And I'm like, well, we let them walk. We must've thought we had something better. And then you go back and look at the Vikings tape and I mean, I know we're missing James Lynch, but holy cow. Yeah, that's not a problem that they could solve. And one of the things is that, you know, they've drafted some players in recent years in the middle rounds. And a lot of times with the, as you call them, werewolves, you have to draft them pretty high because usually (laughs) it's the freak shows. I mean, Daniil Hunter is a total outlier. If Daniil Hunter was coming out of college now, he'd be a first round pick. Because we've seen yes. that guy, Trayvon Walker, Adafi Owe, we like we've seen that guy get picked in the first round now, where teams are like, uh, we should probably just take this insane freak show. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's pretty rare that somebody has the physical skill when they're a third, fourth, fifth round draft pick, and then if you miss on them, like they drafted a Sazia Tomowal out of Minnesota to try to be like a rotational rusher on the interior, it just didn't happen. And they've really put no effort into getting interior pass rushers. So if you're getting rushed as an opposing quarterback, you know it's either blitzes or it's coming from Daniil or it's coming from nowhere. And I think that that's not that big of a challenge if you're a quarterback. And Mayfield early on looked a little shook, but in the second half looked pretty comfortable dropping back. And then he scrambled a few times and and he made enough plays. So it's a weird feeling about the defense because they dominated so much early on, but then were kind of exposed for some of their weaknesses in the second half. Uh, if I were to um, say that I just arrived from going forward in time and now I've gone back in time and I told you, you're never going to believe this. The Vikings beat the Eagles. It was crazy. You should have seen it. What happened was blank. Fill in the blank. They turned the ball over four times. I mean, that's, that's the way, I mean, I watched that Eagles offense and they weren't crisp at all. 
No, they definitely, but you see the pieces, right? You look and go, okay, well, there's A.J. Brown, there's Devontae Smith. Like, I do think they're going to miss their running back from last year, Miles, right? And he left and went to Sanders, Carolina. Yeah. Carolina. Yeah. Sanders. Yeah, you, like, they're going to miss him. He was their bell cow, you know, but they've rotated a lot of guys in there. They have the rookie they're trying to figure out, and I think they're still trying to figure out their run game. But the offensive line is as good as ever. Like, all they did was lose their right guard, and they put Cam Jurgens, their second-round pick, in there at right guard. Their offensive line looked dominant, and they had to play. They had to play the Patriots week one. That's always a toss-up. You have no clue what Bill Belichick and that crew is going to put for you. You can't game plan for it. You can't. You just got to go out there and be like, "We're going to run our stuff and try and figure it out as we go." And now that they've got a week of putting on tape, this offense is going to move up and down the field on us. I think because of they have this defense is now on tape. They know what they're going to do. They know how they want to attack it. And then if they turn the ball over four times, and we get a short field then I think we can win this football game. Folks, I'm not sure if you realize, but after this week, your hometown football team in Minnesota actually isn't at home all that much the rest of the year. They are on the road nine times this season, which means if you're traveling with the team, then you're going to want to check out game time. It's the fast and easy way to buy tickets to everything football. Oh, and everything else as well. If you're looking for other sports that are starting up this fall, playoffs in baseball, or even comedy shows and concerts as well, check out Game Time. One of the coolest parts about Game Time is that they have flash deals on last-minute tickets and a low-price guarantee, which means if you find something lower in the section or row, they will credit you 110%. You also get images of your seat locations, which helps me a lot because those maps can be kind of confusing. So you can buy tickets in seconds and have them arrive right to your phone. It's great. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code INSIDER for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code INSIDER for $20 off your first purchase. Download the GameTime app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I think it really, it really does all come down to can you make Jalen Hurts inefficient passing the football? And... He's proven that obviously he could be a complete quarterback, but when you go through his game to game to game, it's not like Patrick Mahomes or something. It's not, it's not mm-hmm. like it's 350 yards, you know, three touchdowns every single week. There are some normal ups and downs that quarterbacks go through that he does. And sometimes he'll rush things a little bit, get a little inaccurate. Sometimes you can, you know, keep him in the pocket from scrambling a little bit better and, you know, with, with a three, four base system that keeps guys kind of wide outside the tackles. I think you have a chance to do that, but where I would be concerned is that they didn't run the ball that well against new England. If they put a real emphasis in these couple of days and running the football, Tampa Bay didn't run the ball well against the Vikings at all, but I don't think that's like who the Vikings are is this unbelievably stout run defense. So that, that to me is going to be a major determining factor. And of course, Keeping Kirk Cousins alive is probably a, a, a good idea. Now, I, I'm hesitant to ask this question before we get to love to see it, hate to see it, of which there are lots of hate to see it, mm-hmm. because the memories aren't good for you. 
but you've had time to heal. Uh, what's Philadelphia like? I mean, I've been there. I've covered all the games at, on the road at Philadelphia, but I have not been in those shoes. And I know it didn't go well for you the couple of times you traveled to Philadelphia. But what is that stadium like? I feel like it's like no other. It's t- it's a really tough place to play. It is very loud. The building itself is kind of weird. You're down on the field, and it, it's just hard. It's weird because when you look around, like it feels like it's open, but it also feels like it's on top of you at the same time. Like so, it's kind of a weird place to play, and the fans are just brutal. I mean, you can kind of like flush stuff out, but when they're behind you and it's all game and it's constant and they're just berating you over and over, you see guys lose it on the sideline in Philly all the time because there is no line. The fans have no line that they will not step over. They will say whatever they feel can get in your head the most and they make a living and they're proud of it, right? And it's just another place because you talk about what makes a great pass rusher, those silent cadences, the ability to give it. I mean, that's why those guys have such success at home is they're keen on the ball and it's loud, it's rowdy, the crowd's into it. As an offensive lineman, you're trying to peek out there to Brandon Graham, who's four yards outside of you, and you're also trying to look inside at the ball and time it at the same time and get off the ball. And it's a really, really hard place to play, especially if you get behind. If you get behind in Philly, you're pretty much toast. And the last couple times I've been there, it's been at nighttime, which is – particularly insane uh, when the beer flows like wine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I get one thing I give those people credit for is that the number one leading Jersey worn in Philadelphia remains Randall Cunningham. And uh, being of the era, I have some appreciation for those jerseys and Randall Cunningham. So let's get to love to see it. I assume you're going to pick mm. against the Vikings here. I mean, I, I don't know anyone who's going to pick them for this game. Vegas is really it's, against them. They need it. Yeah, but I, mean, I don't I don't know that you could pick them. Until you can show me that you can you can protect your passer against arguably the second, if not the third best pass rushing defense in the NFL, it's going to be hard for me to say we're going to walk in there on the road and beat these guys. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I The offensive line is going to have to show it. And uh, the, it kind of comes down to every game w- when they have a disadvantage will come down to also, does Justin Jefferson do something that only he and God can do, right? And... <laughs> Sometimes it happens like in Buffalo, sometimes it happens. And so there is that element too. not just, you know, the turnovers that you mentioned or, you know, getting hurts to be uncomfortable, but on offense, it's, it's going to take some explosives. It's going to take some big plays from him. And last year when he went to Philadelphia, it did not go so well. So there'll be like a revenge angle for him, Darius Slay and all that stuff. All right. Love to see it. Hate to see it. I mean, I feel like we've got to start on an obvious place for hate to see it. I don't care how much you dislike Aaron Rodgers or whatever your opinions on him at all are. I hated to see that is awful out for the year Achilles injury. If that was going to burn in flames, I wanted to see him playing with it. Burn in flames, not go to Zach Wilson. And I feel like Peyton Manning was all of us last night, even though the jets Mm -hmm. won his disgust at watching Zach Wilson was the most relatable thing I've seen from a sports broadcaster in a long time. Just like, why? Why did this happen? Why? Seven months of talking about this, and then this happens. Just hating, hating, hating to see it. Yeah, that was the second it happened. I think everyone was watching. It was like it can't, it can't end this quickly. The dream in New York can't be over in five minutes. Like no way. And the thing I really thought was interesting is how many guys on Twitter went in to talk about the turf, right? How many guys were like, "This is a rain-soaked." downpour hard turf got a game that played on it 24 hours ago on monday on sunday night football 
and why I believe it's important that we need to get to grass. Everything needs to be as much grass as possible. I get it. It's hard to do. But even before the game, they were bragging about how this was the fourth event in four nights that had been in that stadium. They had a full concert on it the night before. Like The turf was in bad shape. It was tough. And you see his foot get in there, and there's no give. There's no, like, if that's grass, maybe his foot slides out of that thing instead of it just sticks in there like gum and just boom, and you see it ball up in there. And I hope he's not done. That's my biggest thing. I really hope that this is not the last we ever see of Aaron Rodgers. You know he's old. Achilles injuries are tough. I hope that's not the last time we watched Aaron Rodgers on a football team. Okay, give us a give us a love to see it. You know, you love to see all the haters of Brock Purdy just wear it. Just wear it. Everyone about it. I don't know. Can Brock do it again? Was it a rookie saying? Was he just having luck out there? I don't think he can carry this team. Yada, yada, yada. And that dude comes out there like a well-oiled machine, just wheeling and dealing. And you talk about Brandon Ayuk's the third best weapon on that team. And he's like, oh, I'll just throw two touchdowns to him. No biggie. Oh, I'll just let Christian McCaffrey run for 150 yards. He is as advertised. If he can stay on that pace of game manager, putting the ball in good positions, making good decisions, the sky's the limit for that San Fran team. I uh, love to see it to a tug of Iloa, who hmm. I feel like has been at the center of a lot of criticism that was odd to me because of the way that he played last year, like not many. And I hate to get into these because if you just follow social media, you think everyone hates everyone. So that's hard to say, (laughs) but you know, the team didn't sign him to a contract. So there is that, uh, that he's in that boat, you know, as well as like Justin Jefferson doesn't get the early extension like a Joe Burrow did or like a Justin Herbert did, and then just comes out and plays some unbelievable football. And no matter how inept the Chargers defense is, which Brandon Staley, defensive coach, I haven't seen it yet. Let me know when that shows up. But, I mean, just just a remarkable performance of a guy who I feel like has really been through it. I mean, think of what what happened to him last year. Talked about, am I even going to be able to continue to play after the concussions? And then he comes out and plays like that. And this is a guy who came off the bench and won a national championship game in college football. I mean, I feel like he's always had this, this, this something resilience or whatever it is. And I just enjoyed seeing him completely light up the Los Angeles chargers. Yeah. And the chargers, they just chargers going to charger. It was a joke in our house. Like my wife's a huge chargers fan. She grew up watching them. Obviously I played for him. And at the end of the game there, I looked and I go, this is a classic chargers way to lose a football game. They go down, they score, they take the lead, and then it's just junk, junk, junk ball game. And I don't know if it's a coaching issue or what, but that team is too talented to be that bad. They really are. That team should be much better than they are with the talent that they have all over that team. Under seven yards per attempt for Justin Herbert. Again, it keeps happening, and I don't know, like, if how many off – I mean, we're going to keep blaming the offensive coordinator for him not pushing it downfield? Like, I don't know. Um, so as far as I hate to see it, um, Ed Ingram strip sacking his own player. I, we couldn't get through the entire, we could not get through the entire show without me asking you about that play. Uh, I, I don't recall you ever strip sacking your own quarterback. That was really something. No, that, I mean, that's, you have to try really hard to strip sack your own quarterback. I mean, that's, that, that's a tough one to do. You mean, I honestly watched it probably six times and I was like, wait. How did that happen? How did that happen? How did you, I don't know. I still, to this day, don't really... I, I've watched it enough times. I'm not 100% sure how that went down. It's one of those crazy fluke things where 
I mean, you might be the only offensive lineman in history to say I've strip-sacked someone else. Okay, what else you got for hate to see it? Oh, boy. Being a Giants fan. Being a Giants fan right now is tough, and I am a Giants fan. My center started. He got his first NFL start on Sunday night football. I was supposed to be there. My flight got canceled twice, and I couldn't make it, and I think God might have just been like, sit this one out, Jeremiah. You don't want to go sit in the rain for three and a half hours and watch a team get beat by 40 and put up no points. So I didn't end up making it. I ended up watching it from home in the comfortability of my own couch. But that was about as bad of an ass-kicking I've ever seen an NFL team take, especially in primetime. Right? You'll, you'll see a couple of those 11 AMers where it's like, ah, that team's 0-16. But everyone talked about the Giants having a chance to maybe make a run in the division. They've added weapons and Darren Waller and Sterling Shepard and Jalen Hyatt. And all across the board, that thing snowballed so quickly, so fast, and you just couldn't stop the build, the bleeding. You just hate to see it because Giants fans, they just deserve better. Every single play of that game was awful for the New York Giants. That, 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 <laughs> Every, there like. wasn't a good one. There wasn't a good one. Yeah, it wasn't like, like even oh, the, they gave up a kick return and then a pick six. Well, they did have a pick six. But, like, it wasn't yeah. like, oh, a couple turnovers caused this. It was just one team taking a sledgehammer to the face of the other team over and over again. And I feel like for the Giants, what happened last year was the most smoke and mirrors stuff. Like, Brian Dable is probably a good coach, but they have a bad roster and they have a bad offensive line, and they probably don't have a good quarterback. And those receivers, I mean, are, is Paris Campbell actually good? Like, I don't think so. I mean, you're you're drafting a guy and hoping he's good. Is was he a third rounder or something? Like, yeah. I I just I just don't see it. And Darren Waller was good like three years ago, but I don't know that he's an impact player now. And tight ends get old pretty fast, so that's an ugly situation. Uh, the last um, hate to see it I would have is. Chicago Bears fans, your draft history <laughs> at the quarterback position. And I and and look, the fields might be good and they still win five games because that defensive line is an atrocity, but he wasn't good. And I don't know if he's gonna get good. And it's week one, so it's the major overreaction. I get it. But like the whole world is dreaming of this magical Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. We he becomes a superstar, and then the first week is like, I know that guy. <laughs> I know him. I've seen him. Yeah, I I didn't buy into the hype all year. Everyone all year was like, he's gonna take a massive jump. He's gonna do it. And whenever someone tells me that, I always go, based off of what? Like, what did you see actually last year? Where you're like, if he just fixes this one thing, he's gonna take a massive jump. He was a running back that played quarterback last year congratulations like fantasy football owners were like woo we can get all of this but in the real world that it comes down to winning football games you win in this league with your arm as a quarterback and I don't think he has an NFL arm right now based off of the way he makes decisions and he reads things but at the same time his receiving core is DJ Moore's his best receiver like he's a good receiver don't get me wrong but he's not a Cavlin Ridley, he's not a Justin Jefferson. Like he doesn't have a ass kicker out on the edge that just can be a 500 ball. Like I'm in a trouble, I'm in panic. Let me just find this dude and throw it to him. Most great quarterbacks have that, and they try to get it in Claypool. They've just been searching for it. They've done everything they can for it, and they just cannot find some way to help him. And that running game didn't help him at all either. Right? That offensive line was not very good. No, no, their offensive like their roster's still very bad overall, and you know they had a lot of money to spend. 
and I guess they're going to need another off season of spending it. It's a long season. And, but you, to your point, when we talk about jumps, normally when somebody makes a big jump, like Jalen hurts, Jalen hurts, grinded his team to the playoffs in his first year, a team that was supposed to win like five games. And so you're like, okay, well, he wasn't that great, but somehow he was like getting wins. Josh Allen was like that early in his career too. I like it didn't exist for Justin Fields. It was like, well, you're jumping from the bottom to somewhere. I mean, not like, oh, you showed signs and you just need to get over that hump. Like you are, you need to climb a mountain to get over. And I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. it. You know, we'll see how it plays out, but uh, not a great sign for them. Hate to see that, but love to see that football's back. My God, we were just like hit with a monsoon of football mm, storylines, so madness, good. craziness. I'm exhausted. And then I got to fly to Philly tomorrow. Oh yeah. It's Thursday night. Isn't it's it? It's crazy. Isn't it Thursday night. Football. Oh, it's back. You only get two nights a week with no football now. Right. And then, but as the, it goes on, you get max in Tuesdays, right? You're starting to get some max in Tuesdays in there. I have one more hate to see. Okay. Being a rookie quarterback in the NFL, being a rookie quarterback in the NFL is a, it's as hard as a task as there is because you usually go to a pretty terrible team and you usually have to go in there and everyone's looking at you to fix it. And Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud, buckle in fellas. You're in for a very, very long, very tough year of just finding out what it means to be in the NFL. <laughs> Cause that those rosters, Anthony Richardson probably looked the best out of both the, all three of those guys, but man, all three of those guys have some tough sledding if they're going to get some wins in this league. Those teams are horrible, and there's, there's no way around it. I mean, I don't <laughs> – the receivers outside of Adam Thielen in Carolina, I don't even know. Like, it's just – No. I I mean, and even then, it's – you look at – you look down at Indy, it's like, oh, you got Michael Pittman. That's neat. Yeah, but, but you know, your running back will just, like, not pay him, so he can't help you. And then Anthony <laughs> Richardson has to lead the team in rushing as well. I mean, that's – that is And almost be... got killed on the goal line. Like, that was a welcome to the NFL. It's like, you're going to – I know you're big, but these guys are bigger, and you're going to want to slide a lot more in this league. Yeah, it is going to be a rough season for all three of those. I, I actually – I mean, I, I, I like all three quarterbacks as prospects. I do. But it's going to be a tough ride, so – all right, well, uh, we're going to have another football game to talk about by the time we talk next, uh, next uh, Tuesday morning left guard, and uh, might even have some offensive line tape to break down about how they perform against Philadelphia, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, every game in the NFL is sort of like that's a yes. whatever is a 60-40 type proposition, so it would not shock me if the Vikings came up with something there. I, I'm not ready to call this team terrible. I'm not ready to trade cousins to the Jets. I'm not, I, I love all the emails, but I'm not ready yet. We'll see what happens in a couple of weeks. So uh, thanks as, as always for your time, Jeremiah. And uh, I am excited to talk to you again next week. Absolutely. We'll do it again.